Welcome to the podcast about two good friends sharing stories to surprise and delight each other. I'm Courtney Farrell. And I'm Mason New. And this is I Got One For You. Excuse for two friends to have a conversation. So, um, Mason, I was thinking a lot this week, and something I'd love to talk about with you in particular is... Poetry, I know you used to teach, you, you taught poetry, right? You I used did. to, yeah. I did. And um, I would love to hear your just your thoughts about it in general because for me, if I had to explain the way that I process the world, it is through a poet's eye. I'm, mm-hmm. I can't profess to have, I'm not good at it, but I love it. And mm-hmm. when I write a poem, or I when I write a poem, I actually, it looks up at me and says like, mama, and I love it as mm-hmm. if it's with one of my only children. <laughs> But um, but when I read one that I really love, it also sort of takes me away. And it's not something that I read once. I feel like I'm reading it over and over, and each time I read it, I get deeper meaning. Uh, but I have to admit also that so much of the poetry that I read is just confounding. And the stuff in The New Yorker, I'm like, I, you know, it's usually positioned next to a really funny cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's like a cartoon of of a ship sinking, and then there's a— there's a boat in the foreground with a bunch of dogs in it. And then one of the dogs is saying, who's for eating all the food right now? <laughs> and all the dogs have their hand in the air, and the caption says, why dogs rarely survive shipwrecks? <laughs> so like, when you put a poem next to that cartoon, yeah, I yeah. don't see it. It's, right, go- it's, out of, right. it's out of sight, out of mind for me, because I've always wanted to know why dogs rarely survive shipwrecks. <laughs> Great question. It is a great question, but it's been answered for me. It's, it's not it's one we answered. need to discuss. So tell me, what do you, like? How do you do it, or or how do you make someone fall in love with this thing? That so that uh, I used to have a saying that whenever we started a poetry unit or we spent a lot of time on it, I I always said I think that English teachers have done more to kill the love of poetry than any group of people in the world. I agree, and. <clears throat> one of the things I, uh, it, and it, it is very difficult to teach to avoid that, but what I was trying, what, what one of the things I kept talking about with my students was this is not a math equation. You're not looking at a poem and trying to pull it apart and find out every little answer to it. The problem is that when you end up teaching, you often, at least in my case, often went through that process that did exactly that because you're trying to really expose kids to how the poems are put together and what makes them really beautiful. Now, having said that, the real value of poetry is like what you're describing. It's this emotional response. And, you know, I was thinking about this recently because unfortunately you know i attended a funeral i was online and i started thinking about funerals and at almost every funeral i've been to a poem is read Mm, it's true and so we're not you know we're not standing up there reading um math equations or scientific papers or hell i mean even passages sometimes i guess you could get a passage from a book or something like that but most of the time you know poetry really speaks to people at really important moments of 
sincere emotion, right? The funeral or, you know, maybe a wedding, you know, something like that. So poetry seems to be woven into our emotional systems. And don't you think maybe it's somehow for me, poetry is a language between ours and music. There's some oh sure some way that it's woven together, and you have this permission with poetry to say things that if you said out loud and just prose, people would lock you up mm-hmm. for craziness. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. just you, you can say, you can liken things to something else. You can, there's just this way of connecting the emotion, the emotional side of us, the same way that, that music does. Right, and, and poetry is music. It's, it's you know, they're, they're and, and that was actually one of the things I used to say to my students too. So I'd say, how many of you like poetry? And Maybe one kid would raise her hand or right. his hand. But then I said, well, how many of you like music? And, you know, every all kid, loves, uh, yeah. they all love music. So <clears throat> I said, well, they're, they're not that different. There are rules and rhythms and notes that are hit, even in poems, even though they're not necessarily sung, although the origin of poetry is singing. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, I, I always find if you find someone who says they don't like poetry, you can just ask them, have you ever heard a limerick? Right. Right, because you know, right. <clears throat> there's nothing more delightful than the t-shirt that I saw the other day <laughs> <laughs> on a bus of a guy who d- just said, I am the man from Nantucket. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't like poetry, you don't get that t-shirt. Right, that's right. You don't. I, one time, this that brings back this memory that I did bring in some limericks from the New Yorker, in fact, and um, I don't remember the the limerick, but I remember that the image was of this guy running over a frog with a lawnmower, <laughs> <laughs> and this one kid named Robbie, who was not a very interested student, laughed like I have never heard someone laugh and he goes i had no idea poetry could be funny (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway um well one one quotation that so after that funeral um where there was a mary oliver poem read and i don't know her poetry very well but i do have one of her books and it's a beautiful book of essays um she had this quotation in there and i thought you'd find it interesting um so this is from um an essay entitled my friend walt whitman so mary oliver as a young child was devoted to all kinds of poetry and the natural world and took lots of walks and you know was just outdoors as a kid a lot i think she's in her 80s now but um Anyway, so this was the, and oh, and so Whitman was one of her biggest influences. So here's the quote, um, quotation. But first and foremost, I learned from Whitman that the poem is a temple or a green field, a place to enter and in which to feel. Only in a secondary way is it an intellectual thing, an artifact, a moment of seemly and robust wordiness wonderful as that part is. I learned that the poem was made not just to exist, but to speak, to be company. Mm. Well, I love that part about 
to feel. That's what it is. It's it's right. a way to feel. And the writing of a poem makes you feel in order to get those words. But then there's also the tell the re, the, the saying it out loud mm-hmm. to someone else, and then the receiving of it. There's so many pieces to it mm-hmm. that that I love. Well, did you have students? Did you find you had students that came alive? I mean, like when they finally. You got that one boy who realized it could be funny, which I have to t- that's that's not even a trivial revel- revelation because when you realize that poetry can be funny, it, it, it opens up a whole new world. I know. It really does. And, and I, I was not great at bringing in funny poems, but how many like funny poems have we heard that our friends write at, for poem uh, or, you know, weddings or rehearsal dinners or, you know, that kind of stuff? I mean... It you know when you rhyme some joke in there, um, so my family has. I was sort of raised on the poem, and so we would sit at the dining room table at night, and my father would say, um, "Look at all those noceums up on the ceiling. Everybody, <laughs> go ahead and write a, a two line verse about the noceums on the ceiling." And we'd go around, and there'd be a book that we'd all write it in in our mm-hmm. handwriting, and we'd recite them. And always, my fathers were just profound. They rhymed, they were in iambic pentameter, and they had some, you know, just some perfect, they just, the the words fit together like Legos, you know, so we were just sort of raised on this way, and I'll never forget, we were at our dining room table, and my husband was there, and he had a friend over, and my father picked up a shotgun shell, and it was empty, and he said, look at the shotgun shell, everyone just come up with two lines about the shotgun shell. We get a guest over, so we go around and everyone's saying their two lines about the shotgun shell, and this guest said, "He said, oh, I, I can do it. I think I can do it.' So we're at nice, nice tables laid. I want to give you right. the, the. There's a centerpiece. There are candles. There, everyone has a napkin and a bunch of silverware, maybe even two plates. It was a nice afternoon meal, and this uh, young man said." Like a 12-year-old penis, I would a show, tap the cap, and watch it blow. (laughs) (laughs) Which, (laughs) I have to admit that may not be appropriate for a podcast, but it was definitely not appropriate for the day. It just shut it down. I'm like, kids are there. Like It shut it down. Nobody said anything else. My father picked up the shotgun shell, put it in his pocket. (laughs) Nobody else read any more. But poetry has the power to do that. Right? It's funny. It is funny. Even when that's an amazing that that he came up with that in the moment, yeah. Which is you know there's so much in there. I know, and it's a showstopper too, (laughs) which is it really was. (laughs) It was. Well, I I I don't know if kids enthusiastically embraced poetry on mass, but I I really worked very hard to try to break down the barrier of it and just not be like not have them walk away and think god this is so hard to do the one really nice thing about poetry of teaching it is that it's a self-contained unit of information so if a kid doesn't do their homework they and so let's say you assign three poems and they don't read them because they're they're doing something else they come to class they can still participate That's in right. the in the in the class because they can look at the words and they can have they can something can happen 
Whereas if you're reading a big novel and the kid misses one night of reading, They're done. then they don't they don't have the information. They don't know and then they can never catch up. You just explained, I think, why I enjoyed the poetry section <laughs> of school because you could fake it until you could make it. Basically. So I, I heard this poem um, that I didn't hear it until I was in my late thirties, but it's a poem. It's called Intro- Introduction to Poetry by Billy Collins, and I love it. I just I love this poem. It's just genius. So he's talking about poetry. He's talking about how he teaches poetry to, to his students, mm-hmm. and he says this. I ask them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a colored slide or press an ear against its hive. I say drop a mouse into the poem and watch him probe his way out or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. (laughs) But all they want to do is tie the poem to a chair with a rope and torture a confession out of it. (laughs) They begin beating it with the hose to find out what it really means. (laughs) And that that just completely sums up what, you know, here what the teacher's always trying to do and what we all like, just put it in the chair, tie it up. (laughs) We're going to find a simile in here somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to be asked about assonance, and i got to know what it is. <laughs> so you uh, you turned me on to Billy Collins. I, I had heard of him, but you're the most enthusiastic advocate, fan, champion I, that, I, 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 that I personally know. I'll just tell you. I've already mm-hmm. told Wordy there's no, there's no famous actor, there's no good-looking model out there that I want to trade up for. I'm glad I married Wordy. I'm sticking with him, but I have told him. That I have, I share my love with Billy Collins. He is another man that I love that I never want to see with his clothes off. <laughs> no, no, not another. I don't mind. Hang on, let me yeah, reverse that. Yeah, he is a man I love that I don't want to see with his clothes on. You understand yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah. he's too old for me. Sorry, Billy, you're too old for me. But so, how did you get connected to him? So, so I'll tell you. So, when I lived in Dallas, not connected to him, but how did you become oh, interested? Con- no, no, we're connected. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a soulful connection yeah, here. Sure, sure. I've actually met him. So I'll, oh. I'll explain this. So. I was in Dallas. I had joined a literary society called Pyurian. And it is a, if something can be old in Dallas, it's an old sort of uh, group of women that get together. The women are not old. You actually have to be between, you can't be older than 40. You have to be in it for a set number of years anyway. And you have to be somewhat of an intellectual. Clearly, the vetting process (laughs) was somewhat relaxed when I came along. So, I skated into this group of uh, intellectual women, and I thought I had it kind of locked up. Like, they wouldn't know. Like, if I just kept quiet, they wouldn't realize what they had led into the club. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, (laughs) it is hard to hide Mm -hmm. the truth. So, Mm -hmm. just as an aside, the first time I was asked to review a book, they gave me a book called Mind's Eye by Oliver Sacks. And Oliver Sacks is an incredible uh, psychologist. He, he did a lot of work. He, d- he, he was the one who worked with those patients in the movie Awakening. Oh, right. Do you remember yep. that? So mm-hmm. he, his, his life is amazing. I'm not doing it justice here. The work that he's done on the brain and the, the malfunctions of the brain. He wrote a book called The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat Rack. Mm-hmm. But this I was, have heard that title. Yeah, yeah, this is Mind's Eye. So I take the book home. All I'm supposed to do is skim it. Don't read it, skim it, and then give a quick review of the book. So I skimmed it, 
And the book was basically about people who have abnormal brain function, which I felt very understanding about. My brain is, I wouldn't describe it as normal. So, mm-hmm. so I wrote this little review. At the front of the book, the way it was decorated was it had this big circle at the front with an I in the middle of it. And apparently that circle was an O for the first letter in the word Oliver. <laughs> but I didn't see it that way. My mind's eye and saw yeah. that O as simply a decorative thing on the front of the book. Uh-huh. So I assumed that the author's name was simply Liver Sacks. <laughs> so I stood up in front of about 40 women who had their reading glasses on and their notebooks perched open on their knee with their oh my you know, writing pens ready to take notes on whether this was a worthwhile book for the Society Review. And I went on and on about liver sacks this and liver sacks that and how I was going to keep liver, liver sacks, sacks. telephone number on short dial in case I ever had some mental issues. Anyway, long story short, it's apparently a liver sacks. <laughs> so the cat was out of the bag on that. Anyway, long story short, I'm in this this little society and I had to pick a book to review. I was pregnant with my third child. It was a, it was a you had to do a 40 minute review written wow. on a book. So I looked at the list and none of the titles, they were all new titles. So I saw one that said Horoscopes for the Dead by Billy Collins. And I <laughs> just started laughing. Yeah, what a great Like title. what would the what would a horoscope <laughs> for a dead person be? Tomorrow's going to be a bit airy, you know. <laughs> I feel that the atmosphere is going to be really high. Like I don't, I don't even know what it would be. You know, it's going to be a heavenly day tomorrow. So I started laughing and thought, okay, I think this guy. And you'd never had you ever heard? Never of, heard of him before. Ever. Okay. He, he was a poet laureate for the United States during uh, 2001. He's the only poet laureate to address Congress. He oh. read a he read a poem after 9/11. Oh wow! He wrote a poem called "The Names." Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate. I fell in love with him because he's got a sense of humor. Right. And his poetry is accessible. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, he, he writes this poem called Litany. And there's, he, he tries to pick some poet, this guy named Jacques Criclion, which is just a, that's not a poet's name. I don't know what it is. And so Jacques Criclion writes this poem about, you are not the bread and you are not the knife and you are not the, the, the goblet. And Billy Collins just basically says, what does that even mean? Like that doesn't have any, doesn't mean anything at all. So mm-hmm. he, he writes a poem. I want to read you this. He writes a poem that just makes fun of Jacques Criclion. <laughs> because So Jacques Criclion is a real poet. Is a real uh, is a uh, real yeah, poet. Got it. And Billy Billy Collins gets a hold of this poem. Sorry, I'm paging through my my poetry pages here because I'm so, Oh god, it's so good. But you have to understand he's being sarcastic. So it's called Litany. So he says You are not the bread and the knife, the crystal goblet and the wine. You are the dew on the morning grass and the burning wheel of sun. You're the white apron of the baker and the marsh bird suddenly in flight. However, you are not the wind in the orchards, the plum on the counters, (laughs) or the house of cards. And you're certainly not the pine-scented air. There's just no way that you're the (laughs) pine-scented air. It's possible that you're the fish under the bridge, maybe even the pigeon on the general's head, but you're not even close to being the field of cornflowers at dusk. And a quick look in the mirror will show that you are neither the boots in the corner nor the boat asleep in its boathouse. It might interest you to know, speaking of the plentiful imagery of the world, 
that I am the sound of rain on the roof. I also happen to be the shooting star, the evening paper blowing down an alley and a basket of chestnuts on the kitchen table. I am also the moon in the trees and the blind woman's teacup. But don't worry, I am not the bread and the knife. You are still the bread and the knife. You will always be the bread and the knife, not to mention the crystal goblet and somehow the wine. <laughs> somehow the so wine. Good. I'm sorry, but he just, he's so funny. He writes a poem about picking out a mattress, about going and having some guy in a shirt sleeve, you know, with the pocket protector with the pins in there, uh-huh. come try and show him around mattresses, and he's lying there next to his wife, you know, on this mattress with this weirdo looking at him lying on a mat. <laughs> Impossible to know what it would be like to sleep or love on this bed. <laughs> he, he equates it to hell. I mean, he's got another one. He's got a poem called Another Reason Why I Don't Own a Gun. Yeah, that's the one that that's the one about the dog barking. Yes. But yes, oh God. But it's another reason why I don't own a gun. <laughs> Not the reason, but another another reason why I don't own a gun. That 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 poem, the first time I I maybe you read it to me. Maybe I read it out loud. I I, I definitely read it out loud. I laughed so hard at that poem. <laughs> Do you have that poem? Um, I don't think I have it with me right now. I, okay. I, 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 all right. I, I, we'll, we'll, uh, listen. we'll read it to, we'll read we'll it to read, you on we'll, another, another, oh, another episode. Ep, another episode. We've got to, maybe we just start with that one. I think one. we should. Yeah. There's another one that he wrote. This is where I became just cemented in. I mean, this is where our relationship just, we had a shared experience, which is I was lying in the hammock down in Corolla, North Carolina. There's this corner of a beach house where we, where we go and you overlook the wildlife refuge and you um the, the the lighthouse is right there and if you get in the hammock just so you can't see any other houses mm-hmm. you feel like you've been transported through times all the the north carolina southern sounds are chirping and the, the what i call the creek people are all making their little chirping noises mm-hmm. and it's so lovely it's four o'clock in the afternoon the sun's just the right kind of perfect for a nap and I get in there to take this nap. Children have left me alone. Parents have left me alone. I'm in the hammock. I'm just fading off. And the people who rented the house next door who have a pool, they decided this was a good time to play Marco Polo. <laughs> and it starts so suddenly. Marco! Polo! 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 Marco! Polo! These, it, the endurance that children have for this game, that game. is incredible. Yeah. And he wrote a poem about it. And he, it's very short. He, he wakes up one morning in a motel with a hangover, <laughs> and children in the motel start to play Marco Polo, and he wakes up and writes a poem about what he would like to do to the children <laughs> in the pool who are playing this game, and you know, it involves things like making them actually read about Marco Polo, or you know, it is, it's enough to make you just sort of, it's, it's awesome. Well, you know, the other part about poetry, and this was... So we, we're we're talking about all these uncharacteristic things, you know, people not associating humor necessarily, maybe. But um, <clears throat> by the way, I don't know if our listeners can hear, but there's a dog next door there that, is. Would, that, that will not stop barking. And no, and this is it's only funny. Is, the timing is great. It's actually my dog and. <laughs> I think that poem, another reason why right. I don't own a gun, is actually starting to become more and more, you know, understandable to me. Right. Another reason why I don't own a dog and a gun. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, I was um, so one. So poetry can obviously it can be funny, but it can also be really serious. And it's but in my opinion, poetry is always important. It always has value. You know, I mean, there are good poems and there are bad poems. Yes, there are poems that make no sense. Um, there are poems that are just total puzzles, right? Like, why did that person write that way? <clears throat> but one story that I'd like to share that really, really opened me up to understanding what the power of it was is that I had this teacher in high school <clears throat> named T.J. Johnston. And I I didn't know him very well. I took him for elective. He was an English teacher, but the elective I took was not English. So I, I really didn't get to know him that well. He was a very, very wonderful man, very gentle soul. He had uh, been a World War, he was a World War II veteran, and he had killed, in the war, he had killed a German soldier when, when he was in Italy. And he took the man's belt buckle and he wore that belt buckle for the rest of his life every day not as a war trophy or to celebrate but as a as a tribute to the man yeah yeah <clears throat> and he didn't talk i i never heard him talk about that but i knew that story well anyway so this man i i, I guess he he went to war and then he came back and maybe he used the GI Bill to go to college or whatever. I don't really know his story, but he was a lifelong teacher. So uh, where I went to school, the um, we sat around these big tables and the tables would um, we would uh, we would have discussions like we're having right now. And so T.J. Johnston, when he on his last day of class, so he taught for 35 40 years whatever he's walking out of the class he's just taught his last class of his life and he turns back and he looks into the room and he said and he wrote about this that this line from Shakespeare the greatest of all popped into his head and it says in the line is bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang so say it again Bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. Mm. This classroom, it's empty. His career is over. His, I mean, he didn't live that much longer. He retired, and I don't know what happened to him, actually. But his last moment of his entire professional life, he looks back at this empty classroom, and Shakespeare comes to him and says, Bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. Mm. It's from Sonnet 73. Wow. That, see, that to me is just, um, I find it amazing how, I'm going to write a poem about my dog barking, actually, <laughs> is what I'm going to do, because it's resetting my brain. Like, you're saying this amazing thing, and my dog's yipping, and I'm imagining all the ways that I can give him away before Christmas. Uh, so anybody out there that wants a dog. Anybody who wants a dog. It's a beautiful chocolate lab, and he's very talky. Um I just love how that ends up coming up. I find Shakespeare, just for a second, when I hear Shakespeare the first time, I have no idea what he's talking mm -hmm. about. It takes me a very long time sure. to understand what he is saying. But once I do understand, right. I can never lose my grip on what he's 
he's been saying to me, it's phenomenal. Uh, and yeah. I had to, to say, say a poem for um, a good friend of mine, Astrid and Matt, you're familiar with them, yep. for their wedding. And I practiced the poem for about two weeks. And it was only when I could, once I'd memorized the words, it wasn't just about the words, I had to know what each thing meant. But once I memorized what it meant, that the words were easy, you can memorize words. Mm-hmm. But once you memorize the meaning, you understand the memorize the wrong word. You understand the meaning. Then when you say these words that at first blush didn't mean anything to you, the people who are hearing it can understand because they hear the meaning in your voice. It's I think Shakespeare's amazing. It's better than doing a puzzle for me to mm-hmm. sit down, take a par- piece of Shakespeare, fully understand it, and it's as it's it's as if you just put the last piece of the puzzle in the puzzle piece at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and. You know, I, I would ask the students this questions about Shakespeare in particular. I'd say, well, you know, I mean, because they would always complain, like, it's so hard and da-da-da-da-da. And, <clears throat> yeah, when you're reading the poems, it's or, – or really when you're reading the plays, yeah, it's really hard. Like, it's – we don't talk like that. You know, the, the, the language is dense. The imagery is dense. But I always asked him, I was like, well, okay, so – this artist has been translated into more languages. There are museums all over the world. The plays are still performed all over the world. Why? Yeah, why? Why? If it's so hard and so dense and so difficult, um, why is it still around? So I always love the thing about Shakespeare is that he wrote for the three different classes so that there would be something something in there. Lower, middle, and upper class could all feel that they belonged sure. in his words right. and in his play. It's amazing. Let me um, – I want to read you this sonnet 73 because um, since you shared the Billy Collins one, I thought and, – and remembering this man, T.J. Johnson, um, <clears throat> this poem is – I've read this poem a lot. And so it might not be totally evident at first when you hear it, but it's really about the creative spirit and creation and writing poetry and then living and then then it's over. Mm. So um, so there are three metaphors here. So and and this is a sonnet, so it's pretty well organized. Um, the first, and I'm just, just as a means of introduction, the first is the seasons, the second is um, the day, and then the third is the fire. Okay. <clears throat> Sonnet 73. That time of year thou mayest in me behold, when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon these boughs which shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. In me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away, death's second self that seals up all in rest. In me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie, as the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by. This thou perceivest which makes thy love more strong, to love that well which thou must leave ere long. Mm. 
So it's it, it, I think it's hard to listen, and anybody listening to this, that's probably hard to fully comprehend what's going on. But basically, he's looking at the the life that we live, the crea- creativity that we live. So the first is like he's getting old. You know, you're looking at me and the and the where the the yellow leaves are none or few do hang. The boughs are empty. The bo- the boughs of the yeah. tree, and so that's what. So when he says bare ruined choirs where late yeah. the sweet birds sing, it that, makes so much more sense yeah. in the poem. But yeah. that's that's beautiful though. Right. I I, ca- right. I can see it. It's and then the next one is you know that in me you see the twilight. He's getting older, you know, and that sunset fadeth, night's coming. Death's second self, which is, um, it's like the eternal rest, right? So right. you go to sleep at night, but that's somewhat similar. What you know, what would happen? And then the final, which is the 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 image I think is that I love the most, is you. The, in me, thou seest the glowing of such fire, uh, but it's the fire that burns you up and consumes you. So what you were nourished by consumes you, and mm. then it's over. Mm. The log is burnt. It goes from wood to ashes. The life goes from wood to ashes, and that's it. Well, I also, this is pulls into my mind whether he meant this or not, but there's something, there's something beautiful about the end of anything. If you think about it, the end of a book is the best part of the book. Sure. The end of a day is the sunset. Oh, come look at the sunset. The right. end of a fire, it's like, I love when the embers are just whatever. Right. It's like, what I love about it all is also you can love something to the very end. Mm-hmm. And his whole line of something about you loving something that you know is going to disappear. Right. Yeah, the couplet. That's yeah. the, that, that, and, and that, you know, can be another human being, you know, that you, you love it, you love this person. And then at some point, that's it. You know, the love ends or the person dies or whatever. But then there's also this additional meaning to that, too, because it can be anything. Your job, your, you know, your hobbies or just life in general. You know, you love it, but you have to leave it before too long, before it gets too long. You know what? I'm struck by when you're saying all these things. And this is just brings back around for everyone who's listening and also just for the two of us. This is the conversation I like to have, but you can't pick up this conversation in the Trader Joe's line, you know, you know, line to get sure. in, and you're not having this conversation with the, with the people you walk by on a day-to-day basis, and get, you know, it's it's hard to have these kind of conversations unless you invite it. And what mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, the the times where I've gotten to really spend an evening with poetry, I mean, you could take poetry on a date. Do you know what I mean? And what I'm saying, sure. like, you could say, I'm going to take this poem out for dinner and sit with it and just and think about it and really ponder it and laugh with it and personify this this poem or be able to have a conversation we my friend Erica Yegley and I ended up having a dinner party when I lived in Dallas she invited four couples I invited four couples but what we invited that made the the night fun was everyone had to bring a poem mm-hmm. that they felt a connection to and it fundamentally changed. It, was, it wasn't a dinner party. It had nothing to do with the food. It had nothing to do with who else was invited. It had to do with the poems that came to supper. And then when people would stand up and read their poem, because they had a connection to it, right. we were all ready to sit up and listen to it in right. a different way than just, like, here's a poem. But when you say something like, here's a poem that I love, and let me tell you why, because 
my dad read it to me every night sure. before you know he passed away like suddenly this it's a poignant it's a poignant poem well and i love that idea too because you're you're giving people some parameters and rules that's different than the normal dinner party conversation which would we we all know what that conversation is it's the same dinner party conversation you're that talking you have. about your kids yeah you're talking about wait what's going on and what your next vacation or something i don't yeah. know and then throw in a few sports things because there's a tv on somewhere right. with the sports thing and, and then, then you then got your wife and you got your wife and husband uh old regulars that you start to pull out <laughs> you know the old regular your wife's like why'd you tell the one about you know yeah. <laughs> 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 you laugh like you never heard him before <laughs> so, and you're driving home you're like God, do we really have to tell that story again? <laughs> I so I I was at, when we were living at Episcopal High School, I started to ask the kids what their grandparents' names were. I became obsessed with it. I wanted mm -hmm. to know what everyone called their grandparents. Because oh, like their grandparent names, right, not their, their given no, names. No, no, their grandparents, like, yeah. you know, what do you call them? Like Meemaw uh, yeah, or right. Fafa yeah. or whatever, you know, money. <laughs> so listen, I... It started to play a song in my head. I, I became, I really did for a period of time become obsessed with them because they were whispering to me, like, we're supposed to be a poem. So I gathered up all the names and put them in one poem. I want to read it to you now. It's like one long scarf of a poem, it <laughs> okay. basically. Is, all right, so here we go. I'm going to read it to you. It's called Legacy. Peepaw, Meemaw, Crinkly, Woo, Umi, Tiger, Dandy, Doo. Pappy, Paw Paw, Poppy, Granny, Toddlo, Didera, Mamu, Franny, Uma, Umpu, Baba, Bo, Tutu, Popsy, Big Momo, Dolan, Doc, Mumsy, Moo, Nona, Papa, Didi, Roo, Peepa, Granzy, Glamma, Ma, Mima, Pops, Mamita, Paul, Buddha, Gigi, Nanny, Bunny, Boom Boom, Bushka, Cat Dog, Money. Fifi, Pop Pop, Gang, No No, Nona, Lolo, Grandy Doe, Goo Goo, Posy, Tweedledee, Big Bear, Poobah, Mum, Grantee, Teddy, Gummy, Gump, Babo, Bobbins, Bubby, Boots, Tito, Fofo, Nanny, Nuna, Bop, BB, Sassy, Ladybird, Pop, Queenie, Mamie, Lou, Pop, Jama, Grandmam, Popo, Bags, Me Mama. Now that they are fully grown, they all get named anew. Their legacies are set in stone by children less than two. <laughs> love this idea that you're, oh, that you're wow you're renamed you get to the yeah. end of your life and you were the head of a major bank in new york city you know you right you started your own running shoe company you were the preacher of whatever no you're not you're tt <laughs> you know it doesn't matter what you are i mean these names are just phenomenal those names are amazing cat dog cat, cat dog is a name i mean money fifi all of them they're just they're phenomenal I, I, Mason's looking at him right now on the page, but you just I, and and what's funny is that my children have named their grandparents some of these names in here, Bobbins, Bubby. Uh, they're <laughs> boots. so <laughs> and, and, and boots. And go does, see, let's go see boots. It does make you think. You know, you better jump ahead of that train, or you're going to end up being something you don't want to be. Yeah. You know, make, you, go ahead and name yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you want to if you want to go if you want to just throw in and find out what the 2-year-old says, fine. But it might I'm going Coco. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm locking it in stone right now. Oh, I remember when when our our first was born and my mother was just determined she was going to be grandmother. Oh. Grandmother and and uh, her friend 
Betsy said, well, that's good, Mary White. Your granddaughter will be 13 before she can say her name. <laughs> Grandmother. Which, now she's Ma. Which is a, it's a perfect name for Which her. Which a two-year-old named. And Oh, and the other part of this legacy thing is the oldest grandchild names... And for everyone, for every, the, everyone. All of them. So, so my mother had, she's Ma, and uh, all six of her grandchildren have to call her Ma because my daughter named her. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. I had, I had Mima and Papa and Mamu and Pappy. Mamu. 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 <laughs> it's Mamu. You emphasis on the moo. So I, I have to, I want to read one more because I have, I have just a, I don't know. I'm so sad that the word like has has dripped into our vocabulary. It replaced the word go. Uh, when we were coming along, we would say, you know, he goes and she goes. Instead of saying said, we would right. say the word goes. Right. You know, Mason goes, oh, my gosh. And yeah. then I go. Right. My mother used to drive my mother crazy. But in order to get like, get a, get rid of go, we replaced it with like. And mm-hmm. I'm not above the word like. I mean, it is the most insidious. It's like fleas. You're going to catch it if it's around. Right. And I try and get my children not to say it. I always say, there are three words, thought, about, and said. If you use the words thought, about, and said, you will not probably use the word like. Right. Right? You're not, it's not like $5. It was about $5. Right. You know, it's, it's, right. it wasn't like, oh, my gosh. I said, oh, my gosh. Or I right. Thought, right. Anyway. But Billy Collins, here he comes back again, <laughs> wrote a poem called What She Said. And I think the poem is all about using the word like. So tell me you agree. (laughs) What she said. When he told me he expected me to pay for dinner, I was like, give me a break. I was not the exact equivalent of give me a break. I was just similar to give me a break. As I said, I was like, give me a break. (laughs) I would love to tell you how I was able to resemble give me a break without actually being identical to give me a break. But all I can say is that I sensed a similarity between me and give me a break. (laughs) And that was close enough at that point in the evening, even if I meant, even if it meant I would fall short of standing up from the table and screaming, give me a break. For God's sake, will you please give me a break? (laughs) (laughs) It's ingenious. Is this guy unbelievable? It's ingenious. He, he, this, I'm not going to read this poem. This poem is called The Trouble with Poetry, but there's a, this line in here, and he says, the trouble with poetry is that it encourages the writing of more poetry. Uh, yeah. And it's so true, because so once, true. You, right. once you get on that train, once you get on the poem train, you're not getting off. It's not like you visited the station and left. You just, it, all of a sudden, it's, it's, like a, it's just compounding. It's magnetic. It sticks to it. I, uh, I wanted to tell you this. So I was having this text exchange with, one of my former students who grew up in Essex County, Virginia, down on the Rappahannock River near Tappahannock, Virginia. And she and I were going back and forth, and um, we were trying to set up a call, and she's in California now, and I said, well, I'll call you at 12 noon Essex County time. or and, and Sure, it's so 9 o'clock so, California yeah, time. N- yeah, 9 o'clock California time. And then I wrote back and, and I said something like, she said, yeah, in God's country or something, because we always joke about God's country is where she's from. And I said, yeah, it's in God's country, it's always noon. <laughs> and she goes, that sounds like a, a country song. And <laughs> it so does. 
I wrote a country of song. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> I sat right there laughing to myself, and I won't sing the song because I don't have it all. Like I, I've got all of the verses, but I will. I know it's Please, poetry, but no. uh, the chorus. Please, I want to hear. The chorus is, in God's country, it's always noon when I can get a fresh tattoo. Hand on the wheel, dog in the truck. In God's country, it's always noon. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other thing I love is that when it comes in, it's like when a poet when a poem whispers in your ear. Yeah, you better sit down. Yeah, and let it roll through your arm, through your right. hand, under the page because it will bother you until you do. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with that song. I was sitting there, I could not stop writing. I, I woke up the next morning and I had another verse in my it's, head. It, so it, I, it comes yeah. out. So the, the the time I realized that that was like that's a that's as that's as strong an urge as if you have to go to the bathroom, you better run into the bathroom. When a poem when a poem knocks right. on your brain's door, get it on the page. So I, I, when I was a junior in high school, when I was a senior, it doesn't matter. It was late on in high school, and I had the biggest crush on this guy, on this teacher. It wasn't a guy. He was one of my, he was my English teacher, Jay Wood. Mm. I mean, I was just, everything, if Jay Wood liked it, I, he liked Shakespeare. I remember Shakespeare. He was just anything, any class he taught, I was going to take it, and I wasn't necessarily the best student, but I was going to be the best student in his class. So um, anything to spend time around him. So I went, I ran in a race that day, William & Mary. I had not done well, so I came back, and like all immature uh, athletes, I thought I should go for a run because that's the way to get better is right after the event you didn't do well in is to go play more <laughs> go of it. Go do it again. Right, so <laughs> I decided I was going to run home. So I'm running home, and out of the blue, Jay Wood, p Mr. Wood, thank you, pulls up next to me in his car mm -hmm. and asks me if I want to ride home. Yes, I yes, I want a ride home. I want to sit in the car next to you for six minutes. I want to be able to say that I was in your vehicle like this. I was sure we were going to get married. Like this was done. Exactly. I mean, I know it was an age difference, and it was like frowned upon for a teacher to date a student. But I mean, I, I had patience. I could uh -huh. wait. Sure, sure. At any rate, um, I but I had this other thing in my head, which is I was berating myself for not having done what I was supposed to do with the race, and so I looked up and said. No thanks. I'm going to run home today. And he said, "Are you sure?" And of course, in my mind, my mind's like, "No, you're not sure. Get in the car." And I was like, "No, I'm sure." So he left, and instantly, I, I couldn't run anymore. I stopped. I'm like, "What right. have I just done? <laughs> I've run poorly in a race, and I've turned away the love of my life who's driving up the road who invited me for a ride home." So I went home. I sat down. I got a piece of paper, and this poem shot out of my hand, and it said this. I have it in here. The cat crawled in, and there he stood. He took hold of my tongue as hard as he could, and he tugged and he pulled, and he took it away, and for the first time in my life, I had nothing to say. But that fat feline didn't stop there. He sharpened his claws and bristled his hair, and then some words I spoke that clearly weren't mine, but none other than that demeaning feline. He took hold of my lips and made me say, No thanks. I'm going to run home today. <laughs> And I That's didn't. Amazing. I didn't feel good until I wrote the poem. Right. I wrote the poem. I was right. like, I can let this go now. I can let it go. I love it. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with any of your friends you think might enjoy being a part of this conversation. We'd also love to hear your thoughts and stories. So visit us at www.igotoneforya.com or email us directly at igotoneforya.podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>